God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the people there. So we bring the service to you wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews near the back of the Bible? Chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And that's where we're going to be. And we'll also put those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about the forever plan. People today spend most of their time thinking about temporary things. Things that are here today and gone tomorrow. What they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, what they're going to post on the social media, what other people think about them. But those are things that are here today and gone tomorrow. They may be urgent today, but tomorrow they're likely to be forgotten, lost in a storm of distractions swirling around you. A day later, a week later, a year later, those things had faded away and a whole new list of equally temporary things takes their place. Now people seldom ever notice the things that are happening around them that affect eternity. These are far more important things, however, and yet most people don't give them a lot of thought. But your life is about far more than just the temporary things that come and go. You're not like a simple animal who focuses only on food and shelter and survival. No, you were created in the image of God. You have the capacity to think about greater things than simple existence. You have thoughts, wondering about where you'll be after this life on earth. You have questions that go far beyond your physical life. You have thoughts about forever. And in your heart, you know that forever is really far more important than just today. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, as you would say in English, chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put eternity in our hearts. That means you wonder about this life now and how it connects to everlasting life after this life. Inside, you certainly feel like you're more than a simple creature that depends on food to eat and a place to stay safe. You have thoughts that go beyond your normal daily routine on earth. You have thoughts about eternity. You have thoughts about forever. Now, many people don't even like to think about these things because they don't know the answers. They don't know what lies ahead for them, and so they just put it out of their mind. But there's a temporary part of your existence that exists here in this earth in the weakened and vulnerable physical body that you have, and this temporary part is just a minor part. But in this body, you have temptations, heartaches and trials that follow you all of your days on this life. But you also have an eternal part of your existence, an everlasting life outside of time, a life that doesn't get old. It's a body that doesn't get diseases. That's starting to sound pretty good, isn't it? It's a heart that is at peace and not troubled all the time. That's what being created in the image of God means. 
You see, God is not flesh and bones as your physical body is. He's eternal spirit. And here's the good news. He made you in His image. So you also have an eternal spirit. There's never, never been a question about whether you're going to exist forever or not. The only question is where you're going to exist. Are you going to exist in the presence of your heavenly Father in the beautiful kingdom of heaven? Or are you going to go into that other place and have that torture and torment all of that time? So you see, it's a pretty important thing to think about now because you're being prepared for what's going to happen then. God designed you to live forever. That's what it means to be created in His image. And just as your early childhood was meant to prepare you for the rest of your physical life on earth, this physical life here is meant to prepare you for your everlasting life there. Now when God sent His Son to take away the sin and guilt from your life, from the world, from the sin of all mankind, He didn't want to just fix the temporary existence those few years on earth. No, He wanted to take care of our eternity. He wanted to take care of forever. So He came up with a forever plan. He had plans that go far beyond your physical problems that you face on this earth. He has plans that give you everlasting life in heaven. He had plans to permanently heal you, heal those diseases. He had plans to permanently take away all that heartache and sorrow he had plans to wipe away all those tears and to give you everlasting hope and peace. In other words, God had forever on His mind for you. And that's what our scripture today in Hebrews chapter 8 is going to talk about. Let's read it together. It says in chapter 8 verse 1, Now this is the main point of the things that we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle the Lord erected in heaven, and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, they're there already. They serve, it says in verse 5, the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. We'll get to that in just a little bit. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle in the wilderness, for he said, See to it that you make all these things according to what was shown to you in the pattern on the mountain." And then verse 6 ends this part of that chapter and says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, speaking of this new great high priest, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about these verses. It's talking about some things that are really somewhat difficult to follow at times, but until you get to looking into it, you find out what they're talking about, then it becomes very clear. Let's talk a little while about that real tabernacle that's in the heavens. Moses was going to make the earthly one, it said, after the pattern shown to him on the mountain. This was taken from the Torah, by the way. 
Our Jewish Bible, the law, which we also believe as believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, it was taken from the first five books in the Bible, from the book of Asefer Shemot, Beperek Esrim Vechamesh Vipasuk Abeim. In other words, in English, from the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verse 40. And God, after explaining all these things to him in the law, showing him how to make the tabernacle, God reminds him and warns Moses to make sure that he makes the tabernacle after the pattern that God had shown him on the mountain. In that verse, God said to Moses, See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now Moses was looking at the true tabernacle in heaven that God was showing him at that time, the forever tabernacle in heaven. And he told Moses, God told Moses, make that earthly tabernacle after the pattern of the true tabernacle in heaven, the one that you saw. So you see the earthly tabernacle, although holy to the Lord, was only a temporary tabernacle. Even today, you can see that earthly tabernacle is no longer existing. But the true tabernacle, the tabernacle in heaven, is the forever tabernacle. That's the one that lasts forever. And since Moses was making it after the model in heaven, that model in heaven must have been very, very important for him to model that and copy that here on this earth in the tabernacle on this earth. Now heaven, keep in mind, is a forever place. Heaven is the forever kingdom. And that's where the ta forever tabernacle is. So if you think about it, Moses in looking at that tabernacle you could almost see him there on the mountain. He's looking at that tabernacle and, and then God is telling him, make that earthly tabernacle to look like this one in heaven. And then Moses is probably thinking and go, okay, I'm making this tabernacle here on earth. Lord, but what does that one do? What's that all about? Why is there a tabernacle in heaven too? And so we're going to get into that. Let's continue our reading of the scripture. It's talking about in verse 7, a new covenant now. And it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second covenant. Because finding fault with them, he says, God says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, when I took them that day by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they didn't continue in my covenant, even though I kept my end of it, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Says the Lord, you see, this was in the book of Jeremiah in the Tanakh, and God is prophesying, predicting this new covenant that he's going to make. And he continues on in verse 10 and says, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none shall teach his brother saying, Know the Lord for they all shall know me in that day from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 
Now, in that he says a new covenant that he's making, as we've covered before in Hebrew, in the book of Jeremiah, it actually says that God is making a Brit Chadashah. Now, you know, you Hebrew speakers, that that's what we call the Christian New Testament in Hebrew. It's called a Brit Chadashah. And there it is, right in the middle of the Tanakh, the book of Jeremiah, and God Himself is saying, the days are coming in which I will make a Brit Chadashah with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'll make a new covenant with them. But just so we make sure that you're not getting confused on this, he says, and it's not going to be like the covenant I made with your fathers when I took them out of the land, when I took them and led them out of the land of Egypt. It's going to be new. He's going to write his laws on our heart, you see. It's not going to be like the Mosaic Covenant. It's not going to be like you study in synagogue every Shabbat. It's not going to be that covenant. So here's what I'm asking you. Why are you still trying to keep that old covenant when God Himself says in the Jewish Tanakh that He's going to make a a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah? Why are you still trying to keep the old custom? the Old Covenant. You say, well, we like that covenant. That's how we were raised as Jewish. I was born into a Jewish family. I know what you're talking about. I understand what you're saying. But our first requirement, our first love, is not to do what our people have always done. Our first love, the thing that makes the Jewish people special, is they are to do what God wants them to do. And here God Himself is saying in Yeremiahu Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet, He's saying that He's going to do, He's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And it's not going to be like the other one. You should be excited about that. Our God, the Jewish God, is the one who said that. This isn't a Catholic thing or something like that from Gentiles only. You gave them the Tanakh. You gave them what they call the Old Testament. It was because of your faithfulness in keeping those writings. It was because of your due diligence in making sure that everything was accurate through all of those centuries that they have the Jewish Tanakh in their hands today. I went to the synagogue of the chief rabbi of modern Orthodox Judaism. And before I got the chance to speak later, he got up there and spoke and he says, I have to give it to you evangelical Christians because God told us to be a light to all the nations, a light to all the world. And we failed. But you picked up the ball and you ran with it. He's telling the evangelical Christians that were gathered there. He said, you taught the world about the Jewish God of the Old Testament, about the Tanakh. You taught the rest of the world about the Jewish God. And I am bringing that Jewish God back to you today, my brother and sister, my Jewish brother and sister. He says he's going to make a new covenant with you, with Israel and the house of Judah. Watch out. He's going to do exactly what he said. It's going to happen. And in fact, it already has. And you missed it. That's the bad news. The good news is it's not too late. And God even prophesied in the Tanakh 
that you will one day believe on His Mashiach that He sent and that you will embrace Habrit HaChadashah, the new covenant that He made. So don't think that that's not Jewish. I'll tell you what, the people that are telling you that Habrit HaChadashah is not Jewish, they are the ones who are not Jewish because we're reading about Habrit HaChadashah Batanach Hayom because we're reading about the new covenant that God spoke of in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. We're reading about that today in the book of Jeremiah. And it is God Himself that is telling you that He's going to make this new covenant. So when they say that there is no new covenant, you just open your Bible to the book of Jeremiah. You just flip those pages back to chapter 31 and verse 31 and you show them and you let them read that there in the Hebrew and you let them read it out loud and says, God will make a Brit HaChadashah for Israel, for Judah. And it's not going to be like the other one. And then you look over at their face and you look at them trying to make sense of that. And sometimes the rabbis will tell you, well, don't read that anymore because we don't know what that means. Oh, come on. You know exactly what it means. You just don't want to accept what it means because you've spent all of these years teaching people that there was no such thing. This is a time for truth, brothers and sisters. This is a time for truth. I don't have an agenda here. We don't have agendas here. We are seekers of God's truth. What is His truth? His Word is truth. His Word is true. He says, let God be true, but every man be a liar. His Word will stay forever. It says that the, the grass of the field fades and the flower falls off, but the Word of our God lasts forever. It says that in the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Isaiah the prophet, in the Tanakh, Batanakh. In the Tanakh it says that in the Old Testament. This is the Word of God. This is what we're to believe, not the interpretations of some man. Man's wisdom is flawed. Man makes mistakes. God's Word doesn't have mistakes. God's Word is truth. Now in these verses that we just read, it talks about that new covenant. and Obviously that means that, well, it's going to replace the old covenant. The old covenant was not flawed. It was perfect. It was righteous, it was holy, but it was a covenant, it was a contract made between two parties. On the one hand, God was over here saying, if you do this, I will do this. And the people were over here saying, we will keep your commands and therefore you will do that. Well, God kept His part of the contract. He kept His part of the covenant, but we didn't keep ours. They went after idols. They went after other things. They didn't give the land at Shabbats. You know these things from the Torah, from the Tanakh. You know these things. This is what happened. Our forefathers were not faithful with the first covenant that God made. And so God made a new covenant because He didn't want us to perish. And He says, okay, this time, instead of this new covenant being between me and I have things that I have to do, and between you and you have things that you have to do. Now it doesn't matter what you do. All you have to do is believe what I've done and you will be saved. And you will be my children. 
and I will be your God and I will take care of you. He made the new covenant to where he was the only one that really had to do any work. All you have to do is believe what he said and his Messiah and the way that he said that you should go to have salvation by believing on his son, the Mashiach, Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, in these verses that we've just read, there's really three major things that's being talked about today. Let's take a look at them now. First, in the first thing that we want to look at, we see that the tabernacle and the earthly temple, we see from these verses, and he's actually quoting from the Tanakh in many of these verses, we see that the earthly temple and tabernacle were just mere copies or shadows of the true heavenly tabernacle in heaven. Now that tells us that we must remember that this life on earth is only a temporary life. But priests according to the law, the law of Moses, did not live forever, you see. You know that. I mean, they came along, they lived for a few years, and then they passed away, and their sons or someone else replaced them, someone else from the lineage of Aaron, the brother of Moshe, Aaron, the, mother of, uh, the brother of Moses. And these were temporary priests that lived for a temporary amount of time. And they served in a, in a temporary tabernacle. We already talked about that. They had to present atonement sacrifices once a year for the people on, of Israel. You know that on Yom Kippur. Okay, they had to present the kaparah, uh, the atonement for the people of Israel once a year on the day Yom Kippur. But before they could present their sin sacrifice for the people, they also had to offer an atoning sacrifice for their own sins because they were sinners too. They were temporary people and God had said in the Tanakh, He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Two times He said that in the book of Psalms. One time in the book of Isaiah He said that. He looked all over the world trying to find anyone who was totally good all the time, who kept the law all the time, every moment, every second, every year of their life. And it says He found none, no, not one. Isaiah then goes on, as I've said to you so many times before, Isaiah goes on and God says after that verse, So the Lord Himself went forth and His own strength, His own arm brought Him the victory. He became a man. He allowed Himself to be the atonement, the perfect, sinless, blemish-free atonement for the sins of mankind, to remove the sins of mankind once and for all. Now the temporary tabernacle on earth that Moses had constructed in the wilderness, that was a tabernacle that was torn down. God would move, Israel would move and follow him, and then they would set that up again. And the next year they had to make another sacrifice for the sins of the people. But first of all, the chief priest, whoever it was at that time, had to make a sacrifice for his own sins. Well, why was that? that that chief priest died. Well, it turns out in the book of Yehezkel Hanavi, Ezekiel the prophet, Batanach, in the Old Testament, it turns out that God had said, the soul that sins, it shall die. Remember, we talked about that a lot last week, over the last couple of weeks, really. He had said, the soul that sins, it shall die. So why did all these chief priests die? Why did every man who's ever lived on the earth, 
except for the one that God sent. Why did every man die? Because every one of us had sin. None of us were perfect. And yet God is a holy and perfect God. He lives in a holy and perfect place. The kingdom of heaven is a holy place. It's the dwelling place of the Most High God, God Almighty. And no sin is allowed in heaven and before God. So you got to see then that there is a forever tabernacle in the kingdom of heaven. And sins could not be removed using only the tabernacle on earth because it was a temporary tabernacle in a temporary place with the high priest being a temporary person to make temporary atonement for the sins of the people. But once there was one with no sin who could enter into the holy and righteous and pure kingdom of heaven and stand before the very presence of the perfect and righteous and holy God, then that one could enter into the tabernacle in heaven, the forever tabernacle, and make the atonement for the sins of the people once and for all, forever. The atonement in the tabernacle on earth was a temporary atonement made by a temporary high priest made for temporary atoning of the sins of the people. Then the next year it had to be done again and again and again forever and ever. And that's the way it had to be because sins were never really truly taken away completely. But in the tabernacle in heaven when one who had no sin, the Mashiach, entered into that tabernacle and gave himself for the atonement. He took away the sins of mankind once and for all. No temporary atonement there. It's forever atonement in the forever tabernacle in the forever kingdom of heaven by the forever high priest. Remember as we covered that last week. Remember heaven is the forever place. It's where those with everlasting life can come and live forever. But all with sin, that's all men and women who ever lived, are under the sentence of death. God had said, remember, the soul that sins, it shall die. Now, scripture is sure. The scripture is true. It can't be broken. So normal man could not enter that forever kingdom of God because of the sin in their life, because all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God's sentence against sin that proclaimed death for anyone who sinned. The soul that sins, it shall die. God is righteous. God is pure. We're just summarizing again here. He's righteous and He's pure and holy and sin cannot exist in His presence. But anyone attempting to stand before God would be consumed by God's righteous judgment as it consumed the sin in that person and destroyed that person in the process. Now, of course, God knew that. So He made a plan of salvation in which He Himself would become a man keep that law at all times so that he would qualify according to his own rules in the law to be an acceptable blemish-free sacrifice or sin-free sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Now remember, no other person could qualify to be that sacrifice for the atonement of sin because all others had sinned and therefore were not blemish-free. Now maybe you're saying, well, where have I heard that term blemish-free before? Oh, I know. It was in Hasefer Shemot, Veperik Shtemesri. In the book of Exodus, 
chapter 12. That's the one where God told Israel how to observe Pesach, Passover. He said, go out from among the flocks and get a blemish-free lamb to be used for the sacrifice for sins. Let it live among the people for a few days. And then you're going to sacrifice it and take its blood and put it on the mezuzot alabait, on the doorpost of the house, of the dwelling. And what did God say about that Passover lamb, that Pesach lamb? God said, and when I see the blood of that blemish-free, spotless lamb on the doorpost of the dwelling, I will pass over that house in judgment. In other words, God would not judge the people in that house because their sins were covered. They were protected by the blood of the blemish-free lamb that was sacrificed for their sins. The blood of the blemish-free sacrifice saved those in that house from God's judgment. Now, Pesach was telling us ahead of the time how God would save mankind from judgment later on in the future. So in the same way in God's plan for the salvation of mankind to take away man's sins once and forever, one who had no sin, a blemish-free lamb, had to enter the real tabernacle in heaven. In other words, he had to atone for man's sins in the true forever tabernacle, in the forever kingdom of heaven, to atone for the sins of mankind forevermore. You see, sin entered the world through Adam, Adam, as we know from the book of Genesis. So it had to be atoned for and taken out of the world through also another man, but it had to be a sinless man. And there was only one who ever lived. And when God became a man, he called that man Yeshua. Yeshua meant salvation from God, salvation from Yahweh. That's what it meant. That's why his name was Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And only one with no sin could enter that forever tabernacle in heaven. So Jesus the Messiah lived that sinless life so that death could not hold him. Remember again that God had said in Ezekiel, once again, this same old verse, the soul that sins, it shall die. That means that one with no sin would be the one that would have to go in there and atone for the sins of mankind in the real forever tabernacle in the forever kingdom of heaven. One who lives forever. He lives forever because he had no sin. So death could not hold him because when God said the soul that sins it shall die, of course that also means that if the soul doesn't sin, it shall not die. He didn't sin. Death couldn't hold him, and death has no claim over him. So he lives forevermore to be our great high priest in the real forever tabernacle, in the forever kingdom of heaven, and to make his own blood the atonement for all the sins of mankind forever made in the forever tabernacle, in the forever kingdom of God, to forever atone for the sins of man, to all who believe on this Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, and all who believe would be given everlasting life to live in the forever kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It's God's forever plan. Their sins are atoned for under His blood, and just like in Pesach, as he foretold in Pesach, when God sees the blood of his son 
the sinless sacrifice, the blemish-free Lamb of God on the doorposts of our hearts. He will pass over us in judgment and we shall be saved. Now, the third part of what this chapter is telling us is that there's going to be a new covenant. In the verses 7 through 13 of chapter 8, it talks about this new covenant. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit now. Finally, it talks about this covenant, salvation through believing instead of doing the works of the law. Believing on and standing for the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The first covenant, like we said, it was weak because it required man to fulfill his part of the covenant for the covenant to be kept completely. But man didn't fulfill his part of the covenant. God fulfilled his part, but man failed. It was man who couldn't keep from sinning. It was man who instead turned away from God and walked away and did whatever he came, whatever came into his mind. So instead of making man righteous, the law made man guilty because it said to him, if you keep the law, you'll live by the law. But he couldn't keep the law. And so the law condemned him for, for not obeying those laws that God himself had given by the hand of angels. And that law could have made man righteous, acceptable before God, allowed him to get into the perfect kingdom of heaven, but instead man sinned. And as we said before, sin cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be destroyed and man with it. But the law didn't make man righteous. Man became sinners and they disobeyed the law and the law pronounced them guilty and it pronounced them guilty to death because Ezekiel had said that. Remember again that verse, soul that sins, it shall die. It all comes back to that. I think there's no disagreement between us. We all have sin. We acknowledge that we've all failed from time to time, many of times. And I doubt any of us have 51%. Let's, let's be honest. When you count the thoughts of our minds and all the things that we've done that don't even, uh, don't even uh, fulfill the law, we can't even remember all the things of the law. The 613 commandments, uh, the 613 commandments, can't even remember all of them. And yet you're supposed to keep them every second, every moment, every day, every year of your life. And if you ever fail even once, you are a sinner. And according to Ezekiel, you will die. You'll perish. You won't be allowed in the kingdom of heaven. So God saw that the first covenant wasn't going to be enough because man failed. And so he made a new covenant that didn't require works from man. It required only belief in the salvation that God was giving by believing on His Son, Jesus the Messiah. God became a man and won our salvation for us. He took the punishment of our sins upon Himself. The Mashiach came in the power of God as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And all who simply believe on Him and the work God did through Him are saved from the deadly consequences of sin. Jesus is the Mashiach and Lord, and all who believe on Him and confess Him before men will be saved. As the book of Romans, Babreda Chadashah in the New Testament says, if you confess in your heart, if you, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And just to make sure 
people would be pointed to the new covenant in Yermiyahu, Veperek Shloshim Bechad, God said in Jeremiah 31, just to make sure that they knew which covenant to obey, God said that He's going to make it to where that new covenant would not be like the old covenant. But it would be new and it would be Him writing His laws on our hearts. And what does that mean? It means that we would want to do right, but we didn't have to do right to earn our way into heaven because He had once and for all, forever, atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Because if you think about it, He came to the cross 2,000 years ago approximately, and that was before any of our sins in our early life, in our lives today, or any of our days in the future. He atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future, to where if we believe on Him, they're all covered because the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God, it's on the doorposts of our hearts. And when God sees His sacrifice, His Son's blood on the, sac on the doorposts of our hearts, He will pass over us in judgment. That's His promises. That's His promise for us. The forever sacrifice had been made to provide forever atonement and the forever tabernacle in the forever kingdom of heaven. So that is for all who believe on the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. They may have everlasting life in the kingdom of God and live forever in heaven. That's God's forever plan. Amen. Now, I'd like to ask you some questions as we close. Do you want to live forever? Is it more important for you to live forever than to do what everyone else expects you to do? Do you expect them to control your life and tell you how to behave all the time? Or are you willing to just believe the truth of God and do what it says instead? Do you want to live forever? That's what I'm asking. Do you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven at the end of your life on earth? Do you want to know that God approves of you right now and calls you His child? Do you want to know that He is guiding you and caring for you every day of your life, even now? You can know these things and have everlasting life simply by believing on His Son, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord. If you'll boldly stand for Jesus Christ now in this life, before men in this world, family, friends, others, then He will stand for you in heaven before the throne of God, His Father. He'll stand for you before all the angels of heaven, and He'll not be ashamed of you if you're not ashamed of Him now. He will not be ashamed to say that He knows you before all of heaven. Why don't you give your life to Him today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll answer you. He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness. And He'll shine His light on your heart. And you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all that bad history away. And you'll be completely new. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you 
Today, we want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this. Just repeat after me. Say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do amazing things in your life.